Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. A lot went on in terms of a lot of major projects came out that I wanted to review. I wanted to talk about I have those out in the next few days, which is why I didn't have a podcast on Friday. But there was a lot of stuff that did come out that I do want to talk about right now. There was some major, major news that came out from Bloomberg talking about No Time to Die and potentially the film going over to a streaming service. That is not happening, but there was rumors about it potentially going down. So I want to talk about that and the ramifications of what those rumors could mean for Hollywood moving forward. The Suicide Squad has new photos coming from Empire Magazine and some new details coming from the director James Gunn and a whole lot more. But before I get into any movie news or talk about anything that I've seen over the weekend, I did want to get a shout out to a Spotify podcast who on Friday gave the show kind of a little bit of a shout out and ambiguous podcast, a little bit of a shout out in terms of the movie TV section in which it gave our Ma Rainey Black Bottom episode talking about the new trailer from last Monday, uh, a little bit of a shout out to on their major Twitter site. So I just wanted to give them a, a shout out saying thank you for that. And if you want to check out more episodes of the Sam Bissell podcast, you can go to Apple podcast, you can go to Spotify, SoundCloud as well. They're all there. There's reviews, there's more movie news shows that are on there as well. So definitely give a, a, a chance to look at it when you can. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Spotify podcast for putting that on there. It was a, it was a nice surprise to end the week really when i was watching a whole bunch of stuff i just look at my phone and all of a sudden i see it there and at first i didn't think it was the actual spotify podcast but looking on it it had the blue check mark and it it was really cool it was a nice way to end the week and start the weekend so thank you for that and yeah thank you for that It, it was awesome so moving on from that and again a really nice tribute from spotify podcast I want to continue the work that we're doing right now and talk about some movie news that is going on in the world of Hollywood. And to start it all off, I want to begin by kind of talking about the the articles that were coming out about No Time to Die. And when Deadline was reporting on it, there was a little subtext in there talking about MGM because they're in a little bit of financial difficulties right now. And the coronavirus is adding on to that. And one of the things that was talked about with MGM was the fact that Cree 3 is in the works right now and they are slowly in the pre-production phase of developing that project and in it wasn't it came out after the article did but it was it didn't come out as its own headline it was really only just put in that report and According to that report, rumors not confirmed by NGM, Creed, or anyone that's behind that project, but it seems like potentially the star of Creed, Michael B. Jordan, could be not just starring in front of the camera, but also working behind the camera in the director's chair for the third installment in the Creed franchise in the overall Rocky universe. And there's no other mention of it. There's no mention of whether Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson would be back or any, no details or anything. That was really just the main thing to come out of it. But it's pretty significant because this is a a major star in Hollywood that this would be his first major directorial 
film really this would be his directorial debut he hasn't worked on any small films he hasn't worked on any films whatsoever in terms of directing but this would be a major film for him to get his hands on and if this was just any actor coming in to do it i would be a little bit reserved but at the same time i think because michael b jordan is somebody who is learning different aspects of filmmaking of working on movies that i think this could be a good product for him to work on he's been producing the last few years specifically he just did just mercy which was a big film for him and he kind of got that film off the ground he's working on a, a static shock movie with his production company so he's starting to feel his way around with his producer hat and i guess now he wants to put on another cap being the director on a on a production and with the creed franchise he knows this franchise he knows the character of adonis he knows the world He's worked with Ryan Coogler. He's worked with Stephen Cable Jr., who directed the second film when Coogler was doing Black Panther. So I think for Michael B. Jordan, this isn't like he's stepping into an unknown project and directing something. He knows this world. So I think this could be a good launching point for him. And again, there's no other details regarding where this film could go, who's going to be a part of this film. But in terms of the directing, I would love to see Ryan Coogler come back. He would be my first choice just because for what he did with that first Creed movie in which it was just a phenomenal, one of my favorite films of the 2010s, one of my favorite films of 2015 when it came out. I wanted to see him come back to this world, but he's kind of moving on to bigger and better things. And I just, he doesn't have time for Creed or any other film right now because he has right now Black Panther 2 that he's working on. So MGM is going to have to find somebody else like they did with the second film. And why not get somebody who is, again, worked on all what would be all three of these movies at this point right now. And he's worked with the actors. He's probably worked with the crew if they get people that he's familiar with on this film. It could be, it could be a, a really good launching point for him. For Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, it could be a good launching pad for him. And I think it could be a good thing for the film because he has a feel for it. He has an idea of what this universe is, specifically having Adonis Creed be the focal point in this Rocky universe right now, having Stallone kind of take a little bit of a backseat to these last few movies. So I think this could be a really good thing for him. I'm excited to see what Michael B. Jordan does if this does turn out to be true. Again, I think he's an incredible star. I remember watching him on, on Friday Night Lights and to kind of see his career progress over the last few years has just been incredible and again he's starting to become multifaceted and that's what a lot of people are doing right now where they just don't want to stick to their one little area that they know they want to expand their horizons they want to expand their knowledge of the industry and becoming producers becoming directors and i think that's a really good thing and i'm excited to see what what kind of creative force michael b jordan can be behind the camera not just in front of it and and these are the first few steps that could potentially happen. So I'm excited about this. And I, again, I said I, I was a huge fan of the first Creed. I like the second Creed film. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a third Creed film. Now, whether they take cues from the other Rocky films like they did with the second Creed and bringing the Dragos back, I really don't know. Does Mr. T come back for the third film with his son? Who knows what they're going to do? But I definitely think this is a really interesting choice. I don't think it's necessarily... 
a bad choice. The only really negative is, negative is again, Michael B. Jordan hasn't been a director, and it's not like Creed is a billion-dollar franchise, but when you're on your third film and you've had success in your previous two, and you're a part of a your spinoff of our already successful franchise with Rocky, then this is a, a major film that he is a part of. So I think that's the only thing you could say where this is could be a big task for B, for B. Jordan. But again, it's not like he's just coming in into this with cold feet not having been a part of it from the beginning. He was part of the inception of these two films beforehand. So I think he has an idea for what Coogler did, for what, again, Stephen Cable Jr. did with the second film and continuing this journey of Adonis Creed in this third film. So I'm excited about it. I think it's a very intriguing choice. Again, if it does turn out to be true and MGM hasn't confirmed it yet, but if they do, I think this is an interesting choice. I think this could be a smart choice. And I think this could be a really interesting launching pad for Michael B. Jordan's directorial career moving forward. What do you guys think about Michael B. Jordan directing potentially Creed 3? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And then moving into the entire article that came out from Deadline, from Bloomberg, and other sources and outlets as well, talking about the fact that before No Time to Die moved, to April 2nd of 2021, there were very little, uh, very minor talks with some of the streaming services out there right now of potentially the 25th installment in the James Bond franchise going to a streaming service and skipping the theatrical window. And one of the major things that came out of this article was the fact that you had the major headliners like Netflix, Amazon, Apple that were looking to offer $100, $200 million. Earlier this morning, I was reading on Hollywood Reporter that Apple was willing to put up between two to $300 million for this film to acquire it. But apparently... MGM was looking for around $600 million to put this deal up. And with everything going on with coronavirus right now, and there have been a lot of deals made between studios and streaming services for the studios to kind of make up some kind of money because they know if they release these films in theaters, when the theatrical market is is weakened right now, that they're just trying to make some kind of money wherever they can make it right now. And the deals that we have been seeing going on are haven't even exceeded, I think, $200 million. They've been around the $140, $150 range at maximum, at the most at this moment in time. So $600 million was going to be a lot. And according to the reports, the, the streaming services weren't even going to bite that. There was no way they were going to pay that kind of money for this movie. But you can understand where MGM is coming from, where, again, they are in a financially stressful situation right now that has been added on because of the coronavirus. And there's a lot of different tentacles involved with this, where it's not just one studio, whereas Paramount had the full-on rights for like a Coming to America 2, The Trial of Chicago 7, Lovebirds, or even My Spy moving to Amazon. There's a lot of different tentacles around No Time to Die. You have MGM, which handles the domestic distribution. They are the main producers that finance No Time, the Bond films throughout the years. This year, you also had Universal that was going to handle the international distribution of No Time to Die. So you already have two studios to really kind of that you have to converse with. And according to the reports, this is something that MGM just did out of the blue, that this wasn't something that was talked about between the three 
companies that are the main focal points for James Bond right now. And that third company would be the most important of them all, and that is Eon, which is run by Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, who Barbara Broccoli is the daughter of the creator of the film franchise of James Bond in Albert Cubby Broccoli. So there's a history with this franchise that according to The Hollywood Reporter, that Barbara Broccoli, Eon, they are traditionalists at heart when it comes to the theatrical window, that they believe in, in going to the theaters, James Bond's meant for the big screen, nothing else. So it really does seem like MGM went out on their own to uh, to do something like this. And again, this it doesn't seem like this was serious, that, it, it, that something came close to a deal, but the fact that this was something that was floated around it is kind of raises eyebrows a little bit and the kind of money that was was involved. And again, Netflix isn't going to pay $600 million for something that is going to be big for them for a little bit, but they're going to lose more money than really gain money. And you also, you had the fact that there were a lot of advertisements behind this film. There was a lot of marketing already tied up with it that already twice they were ramped up marketing and then they've had to completely move away from it because they moved the release date. So you're already putting extra money in because of the, the marketing, you're putting in 50, $60 million according to the reports. And you also have these major, major advertising deals with Omega Watch, Heineken Beer. So there's so much money already tied up into this that this would be the most complex situation for any streaming service where you're going to be uh, gain, you're going to be giving in more money than I think you would really be giving out to it. And MGM, Eon, Universal, they all think that the No Time to Die specifically had the shot to be a billion dollar film because A, it's a James Bond film, but also it is Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond, and some people regard him as the best James Bond of all time and completely kind of revitalize the character of Bond. So there are a lot of people that I think were looking at this as a major, major event when it was supposed to come out in April of earlier this year or even in November of this year before it got moved to April of 2021. So there's a lot of different tentacles, again, involved in this. And I think that... This what I think this is one of the reasons that when we talk about major, major motion pictures moving to a streaming service to VOD, PVOD, that there is it is a lot more complex than just giving in money and handing it out there. You're, you see when it comes to something like a James Bond that the the projection of it is so high that even if you if you were to make $800 million in, in a theater format, you would be gaining money. Whereas for a studio that see that gives something to a streaming service, because the potential is so big for a film, because it could be reach blockbuster levels, you can't be dishing out $200, $300 million potentially. Again, 600 is a lot of money. And I don't think any company, any studio would even do that. Apple wouldn't even do that. And they have deep, deep pockets. I think they would be willing to give up anything. I mean, you're seeing what they're going to do with Killers of the Flower Moon, where Scorsese is asking for $200 million. That's pocket change for Apple. But they're not going to exceed, I think, to $800 million to acquire a picture that's a one and done for them. If it was a franchise, maybe it could be potentially more interesting to buy it. But if it's just one film, that's it. 
risking $600 million, you're probably going to lose money on that than actually gain any kind of profit. So I think for MGM, I, it makes sense that they would want to do something like this because it does seem like they are going to be acquired by an Apple or an Amazon in the future potentially or maybe one of these other production companies which houses the the production rights to bond along with being attached to eon because they've been a part of it since the the, the 60s and so i think that they're this it was a little surprising i think that the, that something like this did come to fruition but again it seems like it was a little blimp and then it went away like it, it just it, it happened, and then they said, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you, you feel everything when you're deal-making. You, you, you just kind of – you get a temperature and a sense of, okay, what are people willing to – give out if I were to if, if we were to actually give James Bond to one of these services what would they be willing to put out there and they saw the 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 deals the offers that they were getting and it probably wasn't up to their standards and they just decided to say we're just gonna move it and I, w- will they have to release it in April just because of how m- much financially they are taking a hit for this film because there's again a lot of marketing dollars there's a lot of advertisement there's a lot of of back end of money that is could come out of this because they got to pay their stars like daniel craig rami malik leah sadu ray fines and, and their director yeah there's a lot of pressure with this movie because it, you're risking it all on one major film but it, it's it's a reliable franchise in james bond but again covid19 is just adding on to a lot of weight with this and i don't think this was ever going to really come to fruition i think this is again just wishful thinking and just seeing what was out there and these are the offers that mgm got for the the project and again they needed that they would have needed the sign off from someone like from the people of eon from universal and they probably wouldn't have gotten it so i think again you're just feeling it out there seeing what you could get for it and that's pretty much it, and I think that's really all this is going to amount to. I don't think this is going to cause any controversy. I would be shocked if it really did, but overall, I think, again, streamers have been willing to pay a lot of money, and to ask to see what kind of money would you pay for this film, I think it's just interesting, and I think we saw the result of what that would be, and I think it just, you're just going to go on from there because when you look at Black Widow, when you look at something like a batman they wouldn't shelve out those films to a netflix or apple they would keep it for their own streaming services to market their products so they would set a price that they think is reliable like they did with mulan so i think for for universal i think for for mgm they don't have a streaming service so I think for them, they're just kind of left with we either deal with we either wheel it and deal it or we keep it in theaters. And I think again, I think the smart play is keeping it in theaters because the prospects of it are a lot higher than going to streaming service. So, what do you guys think about No Time to Die being potentially offered to a streaming service? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. I would really like to know what you all think about this story because again, it's a minor blip, but it's major. But it's I think in the end. We're 
result. It's just going to be something minor. And I think we're just going to move on to the next thing. And it's interesting, but nothing that's going to have, I think, major ramifications in the future. Moving on now to the world of DC. And I want to talk about the first look photos that came out from Empire Magazine. And it seems like the December edition of Empire is having a full spread for one of the highly anticipated films coming out next year in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And the the two cover photos for Empire of this edition has basically, I think, our best look at every character in their costumes and just kind of having fun and just kind of being badasses. And within the magazine, there are new images that show John Cena's Peacemaker. We see Bloodshot with Idris Elba. And uh, there's a few more photos that we see in there as well, where they're in the jungle, they're fighting, and it just looks badass. And James Gunn seems like he's just having a whole lot of fun with this film. We've heard about it for for a while when he was been making this film that he basically had Carbe Blanche with this. He had a blank check to do whatever he wanted. He said that at DC Fandom where we kind of got our first details regarding the film, what we're going to get with it. Could this be a hard R action superhero film that we're going to get? I think there's a lot to really look forward to with this. It seems like it's taking a lot of concepts from a classic comic book with uh, a 70s war film, and it's completely different than what we got with David Ayer's film. And and James Gunn talks about it where this isn't just a... this this isn't a sequel. It's more of like a revamping with the characters. And and James Gunn talks about it where this is basically a a very standalone film. And this is what he had to say in Empire when talking about the two movies. It does not contradict the first movie. I don't think. It might in some small ways. I don't know. Listen, David Ayer's got in trouble for the movie. I know it didn't come out how David wanted it to come out, but he did one really, really great thing, and that is he picked a fantastic set of actors to work with, and he dealt with these actors and building their characters in a really deep and fearless way. It's something David definitely deserves to be lauded for, and it's definitely added to this movie. I think you know from pretty close to the beginning that all the Guardians are good, apart from Nebula, who's the outlier. But in the Suicide Squad, some of the characters end up being good, and some end up being terrible. They just don't get in fights and say they're going to kill each other. They actually do get into fights and kill each other. You really don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. I was given full freedom to kill anyone, and I mean anyone, by DC. And it sounds like he's implying that, you know, major stars like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, or like Rick Flagg with Joel Kinnaman, or John Cena's uh, Peacemaker, Idris Elba, all these guys, or even Captain Moomerang with Jai Courtney, all these people seem like they could be set up to really be taken out, kind of like a Dirty Dozen sense as well. And again, for James Gunn to get this kind of full-on do-whatever-you-want, not a lot of directors get that, especially in a comic book film. And I think you saw on the Guardians of the Galaxy films, James Gunn pretty much had control, but again, he had to work within the confines of what Marvel Studios wanted to do. It seems like with this film, with DC, they're just basically saying, you don't have any confines, you have these characters, do whatever you want, and we'll go about whatever we can do with them later on. So... uh, 
I think this is a really cool idea, and I can see why James Gunn had a blast with this. It seems like the cast had a blast making this film from, again, what we saw at DC Fandom when, when Gunn talks about it, when the cast talks about it, and you just feel that energy from that panel. Even though it was virtual, you could just feel that there was excitement about people seeing this film and the first look footage that we saw from the behind the scenes of everyone in costume and in the jungle. It, it gives me like a, a a predator kind of vibe. It just looks like un, unadulterated, pure, bonkers fun. And I cannot wait to see what James Gunn does with this film. And again, I think this is... It's great for him because, again, what he dealt with a few years ago with the tweets and he was fired by Disney and then he was brought back into Disney to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but he was first hired to do the Suicide Squad. He's kind of that bridge where you don't have to have one specific fandom. You can be a part of both universes in both DC and Marvel and come up with great content. So... For him, I think this is incredible. He deserves this. And I think he's going to deliver something that is just pure James Gunn that we thought we got with the Guardians movies. But I think Suicide Squad is really going to be a full James Gunn ride. And we're going to see it come to fruition in August, as of right now, in August of 2021. What did you guys think about the Suicide Squad photos that came out? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving on from the world of DC to the world of Avatar. And I want to talk about a behind-the-scenes photo that came out yesterday for the project. And again, over the last few months, we've gotten some more behind-the-scenes looks of the cast kind of in mocap wetsuits in what seemed like a, a back-to-tank and, or not really back-to-tank, but just like a full-on water tank. I'm thinking of Star Wars for a second, but just a full-on water tank where you just have all this mo motion capture, all these cameras going on underwater. We heard from Scorning Weaver last week that she basically had to go underwater and kind of hold her breath for a long period of time. She was She had manta rays gliding over her as she was submerged underwater. Water. It seemed like a tall, daunting task that everyone went through. And one of the newcomers to this franchise, but an old friend of James Cameron's, who is a part of the Titanic film, Kate Winslet, is coming out to this film. And in a Hollywood Reporter article in August, she talked about being going through this process of working underwater. And then in the new behind-the-scenes look, it is Kate Winslet underwater submerged in what seems like just a full-on wetsuit. And the interesting thing about this picture was it seemed like she had these like wings attached to her that she was holding up. And you could see like her nose was pinched and she was she had goggles on. She was trying to hold her breath for so many seconds. And beside her where it seemed like maybe these camera guys or maybe you, it, it was grips that were just working underwater. I, I really don't know, but... It just looks crazy. I mean, I really don't know what to expect from this movie. I really, really don't. And and every time, again, I see more pictures, it gets me excited. But again, as I talked about, it's going to be the footage that I want to see now. I'm seeing behind the scenes stuff. Great. Give me more of that. I'll take it. But I need to see actual footage. And again, we're probably not going to get that until sometime next year for, for some reason. So... I, I think that th th this looks interesting. Uh, we don't know anything else really about it other than the, the second film is going to take place underwater a lot. It's going to explore the, the sea world of Pandora and the humans are going to come back from Earth for this for this film somehow, some way. 
how they do it, I don't know. And it's going to take years later. Jake and Natiri have a family now. So it's time is going to pass with this film. It's not like we've waited 13 years and only two, three years in Avatar timeline passes. It seems like as we have grown up, the characters have grown up as well. And James Cameron seems like he's going to acknowledge that along with having to really kind of put pedal to the metal with this this world that he's created because technology has really evolved. The, the de-aging software has really evolved since it really kind of took off in the early 2010s. You've had a, a motion capture. You've had motion capture with Andy Serkis in the Planet of the Apes films. You've really had virtual sets be created from John Favreau, what he was able to do with The Jungle Book, The Lion King, and what he's doing with The Mandalorian. So technology has evolved, and, and James Cameron, if one thing he's really known for is pushing the boundaries technologically. So the question is, we're, nobody's really tackled underwater, and again, for what I know from James Cameron, he is somebody that is passionate about the sea world of this of this earth and he's involved that in so many of his movies throughout the years and what what can Cameron do with that technology what can he do with with the the virtual technology nowadays what can he do to evolve that and keep being a part of that conversation i think that those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves because that's what we love about Cameron is how he's able to push the the boundaries visually and so i think that's the exciting thing that is really going to be looked forward to when talking about these avatar sequels in for the next few years at least when they start coming out with avatar 2 in 2022 and then subsequent subsequent years following for the next decade or so as of right now we're going to be talking about avatar for at least half a decade or so depending on on how well these first two sequels do with avatar 2 and 3 so what do you guys think about this picture with kate winslet in the avatar suit or in this mocap suit betraying a navi underwater let me know what you think and leave your thoughts and then moving on over to the marvel cinematic universe and some major casting news that came out yesterday and it was announced that as of right now according to deadline Oscar Isaac is in talks to play the role of Moon Knight in the Disney Plus show Moon Knight and taking over the title role of that character. And Moon Knight was one of the Disney Plus shows that was confirmed at D23 last year. And I never really heard of Moon Knight. He's more of one of those B-level characters, as far as I know him to be, that I didn't really get to really kind of learn about in the comic book world. But hearing the descriptions of him from from trades and hearing after the announcement that Kevin Feige made about this character getting his own show, it sounds really interesting. And then I'm really looking forward to seeing Moon Knight in, in his own world and Oscar Isaac, I think, is a, is a great choice. Again, more representation, and he's worked with the Mouse House before, just finished wrapping up the, the sequel trilogy, playing Poe Dameron. So I think he keeps himself in the world of, of, of the Mouse House, and I think Oscar Isaac is, is a terrific actor, and I think he is somebody that is a smart choice. One that I think people are wondering, well, are they going to go somebody that's more unknown? Are they going to go more established? And Oscar Isaac is such a perfect choice for that, and I think he gets to kind of redeem himself after kind of the, the flub that was X-Men Apocalypse, where he, I think he, he was a great choice for that role. I just think... The, the screenwriting wasn't good and they didn't, they didn't give that character enough meat 
as they should have given him on the bones. But I think because of the caliber of what we know Oscar Isaac to be as a performer, I think giving knowing Marvel, the MCU, Kevin Feige, they're going to find the right people to put around Oscar Isaac to make this, I think, a very interesting, serious moving forward. And right now they're looking for a showrunner for uh, or not a showrunner, but a director to direct these episodes. So all these Disney Plus shows are starting to slowly but surely formulate before our very eyes. We have WandaVision. We have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye. Those are really the four that are, I think in the most advanced stages of production the most advanced being WandaVision which is as of right now still set to come out later this year sometime in December and if I had to guess it's probably going to be in the last week or two of December because Mandalorian the last episode is airing I think beginning or mid December so if they finish that up and then they move to WandaVision it could probably air around or after Christmas time and before New Year's Eve. So I think that's the one that it's in the most late advancement, WandaVision. Then Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki will come out next year. Hawkeye could be 2022. And now we're getting the casting of potentially She-Hulk with... with, with the, the actress who is in Orphan in Black. You also have a newcomer playing Miss Marvel, and now you have the the casting of Moon Knight. So we're, everything's starting to come together slowly but surely, and I think if WandaVision performs very well, Falcon does, and Loki, I think everyone's going to really be interested to see these shows with these these supporting characters that are now main characters in their own shows in Marvel and how they intersect with the MCU on the big screen. Like WandaVision and Loki supposedly have a connection in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So we're really going to see the connectiveness of these shows really kind of formulate. But again, staying within their own separate solo adventures like we know Marvel to do so well where they can connect to, to all these different movies and then meet up in these team-up films. But at the same time, we love them because of their own solo adventures that they have. They feel like you can just watch this film and just have fun with it. So I think if they do that with these Disney Plus shows, Dis- uh, Kevin Feige, the Marvel Studios are going to be able to conquer another phase in their dominance within Hollywood. So I think this is a really good casting. I'm happy for Oscar Isaac that I think even after the Star Wars trilogy as well, where I enjoyed him as Poe Dameron, and I thought I really, I, I enjoyed him and I enjoyed his character. I didn't think he got a lot to do, especially in The Rise of Skywalker. I think he'll have, again, a lot to do with this Moonlight character and really kind of see him be this action star that he could potentially be along with being a great performer on the dramatic side as well as we've seen him do in Inside Lewin Davis, and he's been in a few other things as well. So I think Oscar Isaac is somebody who deserves this shot again, and I think this is this is going to be a really good role for him, representation and all. What do you guys think about the potential casting of Oscar Isaac as Moonlight? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today is a trailer that came out earlier this morning. And shocker again, it is another Netflix original set to debut on December 23rd this year. It's directed by George Clooney and starring George Clooney alongside Felicity Jones, Kyle Chandler, Damien Bashir, and David Oyelo. And it's about this man in on Antarctica on Earth who finds out that this life preservation 
shuttle in space and come back down to Earth when a, a, a pandemic, funny enough, hits Earth and a lot of people aren't around anymore. There's nothing left on Earth. And he's trying to warn them about everything that happened before they land and to our casualties of what have ha- what has happened on this Earth. And watching the trailer, it reminded me a lot of a hybrid of Gravity and The Martian, where it's really about kind of this one lone person on Mars or in space trying to help and get to an objective. And it seems like George Clooney is trying to get to this antenna to send a signal to this shuttle that is in space that is operated by Felicity Jones and her crew. And there's one aspect of the trailer where it seems like George Clooney is accompanied by this girl. I wouldn't be surprised if that's probably a figment of his imagination and he's just kind of a loner and he, and he needs something to be around him. So I think it, it looks good. It looks something that could potentially be an award season contender. I'm really happy to see George Clooney back on the screen in a film. I feel like I haven't seen him since like Monuments Men in like 2016, 2017. So to see him, or that might that might be even be like 2014, honestly. It's been a long time since I've seen George Clooney in a movie before. And to see him back in it to direct again, uh, I think is really good. And he was in Catch-22, I think it was last year, the year before. So he's been working, but he's been doing a lot more humanitarian stuff with his wife over the last few years. And he's kind of taken a little bit of a back seat from Hollywood. So to kind of see him go back, but do a more serious film, a more artistic film is very, very interesting. And to kind of see him act by himself, I think is very interesting as somebody who is a, an actor and a director to kind of, when you're in those scenes, like how do you really just kind of direct the scenes, but really just, you're really kind of directing yourself and really no one else around you other than the little girl that is with him. So I'm going to find those scenes very interesting to watch and, and how Clooney, kind of balances himself as a as an actor director and then of course seeing him work with Felicity Jones as a director as those scenes take place in space I think it's going to be very interesting. So I think this is going to be a challenge for George Clooney, even though he's kind of had a few missteps over the last the recent years as a director. You still remember things like Good Night and Good Luck. And I think you can there's still a sense of a really good director in George Clooney that I'm interested in seeing. I was really interested to see the footage for this film. And now that I've seen it, it gets me excited for what we could see. This could have some award season play in it, but I think we're gonna have to wait for the film to come out before deciding if that will be true or not. But another Netflix film that is coming around, another one that has a lot of major players involved with it, and could be a good hit for them come around the holiday time. So again, it's gonna be more, I think, of a more moody film, more that is a little bit more serious. Or if you're looking for something that isn't so dire, and especially in the times that we live in right now, this might not be the film for you if you're watching this trailer. But I think artistically and somebody who loves movies and is just looking for stuff to watch, this looks very interesting to me. And I'm excited to see what George Clooney is going to do with this film. What do you guys think about the trailer for this movie? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing I want to talk about today, moving away from movie news and moving on to a review of a TV show that I am currently watching still right now, but I am about 
about four episodes in. It's a limited series, and I wanted to give my reactions on the episodes that I've seen so far. It is the Netflix limited series that came out this weekend. That is The Queen's Gambit, starring Anya Taylor-Joy and directed by Scott Frank, who also wrote all the episodes to this show. And basically, it is about this chess prodigy called Beth Harmon and kind of tracing her journey from being an orphan at a young age to becoming a grandmaster champion at the game of chess worldwide. And I'm only four episodes in, but the four episodes that I'm watching, I've been really impressed by the show as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about chess, doesn't know only the fact that I, the only thing I really know about chess is the fact that it's on, it's on a board. You have these pieces. You have bishops and, and kings and, and queens and pawns. But other than that, I really don't know the mechanics of chess. And I think this show so far has done a great job in showcasing the mechanics of chess, getting you really invested in the game, wanting to learn more about it. And whenever you have these chess matches go on, you feel the intensity of those matches and how it's really not a life or death scenario, but it's very, it's so much of a mental game. And even though it's just moving pieces around, there's so much intricacy and complexity that goes into it. It's basically its own kind of art. And one of the reasons for you falling in love with the game of chess and really being invested is because you're invested in the character of Beth Harmon. And that is a credit to Anya Taylor-Joy, who per usual, crushes it with this role. In any role that she has done, as I've seen her in, she crushes it and she continues it with Beth Beth Harmon. And she's, just, uh, she's one of my favorite up-and-coming actresses in the game right now. I love her and everything is that she's in, obviously. And she gives such a, a nuance to Beth. And, and the fact that she's somebody who is so stoic and can be an emotionless, but at the same time, she is going through her own personal demons. And when she's playing the game of chess, you can kind of just see that sometimes she can get beaten. She could be vulnerable at the same time. And she grows as the show so far that I've seen goes on. And kind of the the personal journeys that she goes through, the demons that she faces with drug addiction and alcohol abuse while still playing chess is, is, is hard to watch and how she relies on these things while playing the game. And I think so far she has showcased such great vulnerability and makes you care and empathize for this character and four episodes in, I'm very, very impressed with what I've watched so far. I have three more episodes to go, and I'm kind of at the halfway point now. So I'm excited to see how it really kind of wraps up. It's kind of in the tail end of the second act, moving into the third act now, and seeing how it all plays out. I'm very, very excited, and I'll have the rest of the review for you in the next few days, along with the reviews for all the films that I watched this weekend, including Borat 2, the On the Over the Moon, On the Rocks, Trial of Chicago 7, which I watched a week prior. All these reviews are going to come out in the next few days. It's just a lot of different reviews that are coming out. But I wanted to get my halfway mark review done for The Queen's Gabba because I do recommend it, even though I haven't watched the 
fourth thing yet. I four episodes in, I very much am enjoying it. And I think I'm at the point now where I can recommend watching the first four episodes and probably watching the rest of the show. If you're invested four episodes in like I am, at that point, you just really can just finish the, the show at that point so i definitely recommend the queen's gambit if you're a fan of anya taylor joy like i am this is another show that is a highlight for her i think if you aren't a fan of chess i think watching this show it'll make you somewhat invested in chess where you want to learn about it maybe not play it but learn more about the rules about it learn more about the strategies of chess and i think this show does a good job of doing that and not doing it to a point where you're you're bored about it or they're just trying to coddle your hand they they make you follow along with beth and, and what she is trying to do so um yeah i recommend this I definitely suggest checking it out. Limited series, seven episodes. Definitely check it out. You can probably binge it within a day or within a weekend. You can binge this show. I think you can enjoy it. So, yeah, thumbs up for me with The Queen's Gambit. And with that, guys, that is going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grow. A weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as at Wrestle Addict Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure you can follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.